Welcome to the Single Lady Estates podcast. My name is Bobby Wasserman, and I'm the founder of Single Lady Estates. Thank you for spending some of your time with us. Today, we are discussing a topic near and dear to my heart, and that is navigating municipalities to solve a real estate problem. That can mean a number of issues from road repair to city-owned trees falling on your property to building permits, and the list just goes on and on. Yet, the urbanization of the world has been astounding. In 1950, roughly 750 million people were living in urban-defined areas. By 2018, that number had jumped to over 4 billion. So over half the world's population now lives in metropolitan areas. The allure is obvious. Better jobs, more services, stronger home appreciation values, cultural attractions are just a few. But on the flip side, urban living is expensive. Ask anyone in Toronto, New York, Boston, Miami, Los Angeles, just to name a few cities. These areas tend to have expensive housing, older homes that are costlier to maintain and to bring up to code, higher crime rates, and schools that lack ample resources. Today, we are so grateful to be speaking with Michelle Cicchino. Michelle is a practicing attorney and an associate at Gowling WLG. Gowling is an international law firm, and Michelle practices municipal law, including land use, expropriation, municipal property tax assessment, and municipal financing. She provides counsel in real property disputes and landlord-tenant disputes, and Michelle practices out of Gowling's Ottawa, Canada offices. Welcome, Michelle. Thank you, Bobby, for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Michelle, what led you to your interest in law and especially municipality issues? The thing that really drew me into municipal law is that I get to see the application of my work just walking down the street. What municipalities do and do not allow affect each of us, and it was and continues to be so fascinating to me that something that has such a large bearing on our day-to-day lives isn't given as much consideration by many people as larger scale politics are. Yeah. Municipalities are the ones who set bylaws and exceptions that govern, you know, what time construction noise can start and stop each day, where the municipal roads are located, whether your property has access to municipal water and sewage, what inner city transportation looks like, whether your next door neighbor can decide to operate a petting zoo on their lands or whether an outdoor gun range should operate beside your cottage. All of these decisions have such a large impact on our daily lives, and I just find it so amazing to get to be a part of those decisions and how that change is going forward. I love that. I love that. Before we start our deep dive, I just want to remind our listeners that this is a discussion only, not legal advice. Municipal law is very local and specific. So if you need help with a municipal law, please talk to a local attorney. Let's start with some common legal issues that arise in real estate transactions and how those can bleed into city or county issues. So let's start with zoning. There are a lot of changes going on in regards to residential zoning. Can you broadly discuss those and how that impacts residential real estate and possibly your home? So I think before we dive into zoning itself, it's important to have a small outline of how land use planning and development works. And I am acknowledging that my information is based specifically on my experience here in Ontario and the laws that exist here. 
municipalities in Canada, and my understanding in the United States as well, are creatures of statute. And what I mean by that is that they do not have a legal basis to do anything without a law existing telling them that they can. Here in Ontario, zoning is the portion of the development puzzle that people are most familiar with, but it's actually towards the bottom of the chain. So here we start with the Planning Act, which is the piece of legislation that governs land use planning in Ontario. And then from there, the government of Ontario has what is called the Provincial Policy Statement, which provides policy direction on matters of provincial interest related to land use planning and development. So think policy directions for increasing housing and what kind of housing we require to meet the needs of the province. What are we looking at in terms of affordable housing? Supporting jobs and creating opportunities for economic development. What is appropriate transportation? The requirement or policy for municipalities to have the water and sewer infrastructure to accommodate current and future needs. So there is the overarching provincial policy statement. And then from there, municipalities draft what are called official plans. This is essentially a document that describes how land in the municipality should be used. And this document must be consistent with the provincial policy statement. And once all of that is done, we get to the bottom of the chain, which deals with the nitty gritty of planning, which is your zoning bylaw. But the municipal zoning bylaw must conform with the official plan which must be consistent with the provincial policy statement. So there are nuances to all of this, and that's just the general overview of the hierarchy. But when we're talking about zoning bylaws, there's actually a lot more that has already gone into it. And other than making small amendments to the zoning bylaw itself, which you're doing if all of the other policies remain in place, when there's a change that comes up from the top, it can change everything going forward. Now, Speaking specifically to the changes going on in regards to residential zoning and the impacts to residential real estate and possibly people's homes, what we're seeing with residential real estate is that due to a shortage of housing, there is a need for an increase in density. Where density is and isn't appropriate is for an expert land use planner to decide, and that is done based on the policy documents. But we're certainly seeing a push, especially in urban areas, for increases in density on lots. That is a huge problem here in the U.S. too, especially here in California. We are really experiencing a housing shortage. What this can mean for your home is that the, let's call it fabric of your community, may shift over time. If you bought a semi-detached house in the heart of downtown today, which if you can afford to be able to do, I'm very envious, the zoning in that area may in fact permit low-rise, medium-rise apartment dwellings. And over time, as it is permitted by the zoning, you will see more of those denser developments popping up around your home. Zoning also dictates things like how close the lot line your property can be, how many, if any, parking spots are required. And as we move towards a hope of more transit-intensive communities and 15-minute communities, there is a shift away from providing numerous parking spots on a lot. And with such a finite amount of land, Properties are being constructed closer to one another, maximizing space for housing. And so in communities, some people feel that the decrease in parking spots, for instance, might increase parking on the roads near their houses, which can make streets feel very busy. However, when land use planning is done in the way in which it's intended, those types of neighborhoods are created because there is the transportation in place to support 
people moving about in ways other than in vehicles that would then require parking. This is great, Michelle. I want people to know that even though you are physically in Canada and deal with Canadian law, and some of the language is different, like province and state and all that, this is a very good overlay of what's also happening here in the United States. And this is why, Michelle, I'm just so happy you agreed to talk with us because traditionally zoning has been a very local issue here in the U.S. And because of the lack of housing, the zoning laws are being changed at much higher levels of government. And for example, in California, where there is a notable shortage of affordable housing, what you're seeing is what was once city planning and city zoning is now all being moved to the state level. And the state is mandating certain density numbers that the cities have to implement. So with all that said, how can these changes impact your property value and the way of life in your neighborhood? So I will preface this by saying that land use planning, at least here in Ontario, does not take into account the value of your property. That is not considered a land use planning issue. So if, for instance, you owned a home and someone came in and brought a zoning bylaw amendment, an official plan amendment application to build a large apartment beside your house, the municipality and the tribunal that an appeal would then go to if the municipality agreed, you disagreed and you wanted to appeal it, will look at many factors, but the impact of value on your property is not going to be one of them. Yeah. However, I do work on all sides of development, so I do hear this concern a lot. And I think each community has some sort of character and there'll be things that happen in every community that you do and you do not like. And so really though changes are going to happen as neighborhoods develop, as municipalities have access to different types of funding, as we continue to be in a housing shortage, there are going to be changes, changes inevitable. And so if you have a specific way of life in mind in terms of how your neighborhood is or how you want that future progression to be, I would say it's important to participate and get a sense of the long-term plans for your community at the beginning. Once the zoning is in, it's hard to change things. So it's more in the United States at the state's level, here in Canada at the provincial level, when municipalities are making their long-term plans as to how development is going to play out based on those larger policies. That is the time but if you are moving closer and closer to a downtown core, the more comfortable way of life where there isn't a lot of noise, there's a lot of space between housing, it's just not going to remain that way. There's just too much of a need at this point to increase, whether it be just increase the amount of housing that we have and to increase density on the lots. Because for the longest time, we were building on large lots with smaller buildings and there's a lot of land that could still be used. I completely agree. That's exactly what's going on here in the United States too. So when we talk about zoning, does that term include permits in general? And if so, how? So zoning provides a legal and precise way to manage land use and future development. And it's supposed to, in many respects, mitigate what are considered undue adverse impacts from other uses near your lands. And at least here in Ontario, after zoning, your property might be subject to something that's called site plan control. Once you have completed your land use planning steps, it is at that time that we're talking about building permits and possibly other permits if your property is designated under the Heritage Act, if you tend to do construction in the water, for instance, to build a dock. 
In Ontario, you need a building permit to construct any new building over 10 square meters, make renovations, repairs, or add to a building, change the use of the building, excavate or construct a foundation, and a couple other things. Also, if you're demolishing a structure on your land, you will also need a demolition permit. Building permits here in Ontario are issued by the body responsible for enforcing Ontario's building code. If your municipality has both a building department and a land use planning department, like they do here in Ottawa, those departments will interact, but it is the building department that will deal with issuing your building permit. The building department will check to make sure that the building complies with the zoning bylaw, but building permits look to more than just that. So zoning is very specific in terms of what you can use your land for and where, and then permits deal more with the creation of the structures or the licensing that you might require to be able to use the land as it's permitted to be used under the zoning. Okay, terrific. So I want everyone to know that, again, here in the United States, it's not exactly the same, but it is extremely similar or parallel. Everyone's city or county has a planning department or a land use department or a building department, right? You can get a copy of the plans around density and how your neighborhood is going to change from those departments. And those are also available on city and county websites. So Michelle, let's move on to environmental issues and how are environmental issues playing into current pending zoning changes and what are you seeing there? So environmental issues are certainly a concern we're hearing more and more from both municipalities and community members. If simply the zoning is being amended, it means that the municipality has already determined through its official plan that these uses should be contemplated for the property. And so in those cases, one would assume that environmental concerns would have been addressed at that time. However, in the case of larger scale changes where we're seeing zoning and the official plan being amended together, so that is where the provincial policy statement may account for the type of development a person would like to do on the lands, but the official plan currently doesn't allow that use and the zoning bylaw doesn't as well. One can bring an amendment to change both the official plan and the zoning together. Municipalities often request a lot of the information that deals with possible environmental concerns at the time of the official plan amendment application. And this is done to provide assurances. So here in Ontario, we see reports that may be required include environmental site assessments, groundwater impact assessments, environmental impact statements, which would include the consideration of species at risk or endangered species. And if there are risks or things that are flagged, the reports will also include how to deal with them. So for instance, let's take a species at risk. There may be here in Ottawa, we talk about the barn swallow. It's a bird that's been marked as a species at risk and they of course have nests throughout Ottawa. And so if we're developing on a land, we would have an ecologist biologist who's already written a report to tell us how to be able to develop the land safely in a manner that's not going to disrupt or cause any damage to the species at risk. So that may include different ways in which we're going to move the nest in a safe manner, to move the nest to a place where the development's not going to occur. In some instances, municipalities will rezone the lands where if there is certain trees that are to be kept, it'll be an open space designation where that entire section of forested land cannot be developed on and instead the development will take place a little bit further back. But though there are environmental concerns happening, 
with regards to zoning changes, municipalities are taking many steps to make sure that those concerns are being addressed right at the beginning and that steps are in place to make sure that we're mitigating any possible issues. This is great because in the state where I live, California, environmental issues are always top of mind and at the top of regulations. And I know that will vary throughout all the different states and provinces, probably in Canada as well. Also, as the climate change continues to evolve, I would also look for more regulations and evolution in environmental standards. So where can people start as far as researching a problem or finding the correct department within the municipality to help solve like a zoning issue? Because a lot of times people just don't know where to start. So I would start off by saying that it depends on your zoning problem. If you've been charged with a zoning infraction, call a lawyer, obtain legal advice. Some municipalities make zoning a bit easier to figure out than others. For instance, here in Ottawa, the city has a program called Geo Ottawa that tells you the current zoning for every property in the municipality. So I would suggest starting with a basic Google search to determine if something similar exists in your municipality, with the caveat that I would only do this if you understand how to read zoning bylaws. Michelle, that is right on track. Google can be your best friend because it allows you to not only understand if there's a problem, it shows you the language around that problem. So when you go to your city, your county, your state, or even an attorney, you have the language to ask a question correctly, which improves your odds of getting a correct answer. <laughs> if you are unsure if the zoning for your property allows you to do something that you would like to do, your municipality's land use planning department should be able to help you. This is especially so for matters that here in Ontario, we would call minor variances to your zoning bylaw, which is there are variances being made to the zoning bylaw, but they're very minor in nature, pretty self-explanatory. And in some municipalities, you can simply pay for what is a zoning designation letter where the municipality will write you a letter outlining the permitted uses on your property. If you aren't getting a lot of traction with your municipality, private sector land use planners are the key to success. They can look at your property and tell you if you have any legal non-conforming rights. And so this is where the zoning in place today doesn't allow what is currently on the lands, but the way in which the land is being used can continue to operate due to provisions in the law. Private sector land use planner can tell you what you can presently do with your land per the zoning. And they can also tell you what kind of application for a zoning amendment they could support. And so that's if your zoning problem has to deal with your lands. If your zoning problem does not have to deal with your own lands, then it likely falls under two categories. One being an infraction, in which case you would call your municipal bylaw number and they would deal with the issue. So if that's with a neighbor, just someone in your community that is clearly violating municipal zoning bylaws, you would call bylaw. The other category is land use planning. So where you might have comments or concerns with the zoning bylaw amendment that is being proposed, for instance, that is a land use planning issue. In Ontario, there are public meetings for community members to provide their concerns, and concerns can also go to the land use planner at the municipality that is in charge of handling the application that is before them. Here in Ontario, the person who is in charge of that application at the municipality, that information is made public. 
should the municipality approve the zoning bylaw amendment, at least here in Ontario, subject to certain requirements to have the right to appeal, community members can then appeal this decision to the Ontario Land Tribunal. And at this time, if you haven't already done so, you would want to engage a expert land use planner, and they would likely recommend that you obtain legal advice. I totally agree, Michelle. And rather than just jump from needing an expert land use planner to obtaining legal advice, what I suggest is that people go to their neighborhood council. Most cities have neighborhood councils. You can Google it. And in the neighborhood council structure, there is a committee called the Plum Committee, and it stands for Planning Land and Management Committee, Plum. And so at that committee level, people who want to change property zonings and develop commercially, they go through this committee. And it's a great place where, number one, you can learn about what's going on in your neighborhood. And number two, you can ask questions. And not only as part of the public, if you ask those questions, that is going to spark the interest of the committee members and the people on the council because they see it as an issue of importance to the public that they represent. And these are people that live in that neighborhood. So if you're going to start, start there. If your city has it, most likely your city has this neighborhood council or a plum committee that is staff of volunteers from the neighborhood. All right. So I was just kind of curious, Michelle, in your experience, is there a difference in how men approach these issues compared to women? Or are there any generational issues? I don't know if I would say that there is much of a difference with respect to gender in approaching these issues. Uh, now, that may be because of the fact that persons that I deal with in this space are often very involved in the development space. So it may be different than how your average citizen may be participating in this space. I also have been sort of gearing my practice from the time that I started to try and work as much as possible with other women working in development. And so I think people work together with others who work similar to themselves. So I don't have much comment with regards to the difference in how men and women approach these issues. Now, where we do see more of a difference is where people try to do things on their own versus obtaining land use planning expertise from the start. And I don't know if that's generational. I don't know if that is gender, but there is more of a trend that I'm seeing as I progress in my expertise here at Gowlings of people spending more time focusing at the beginning to make sure that everything is in place to try and mitigate issues down the road. And so this is not a plug for lawyers. In many cases, you actually don't need someone like me right away or at all, especially if it's going to be something like you're changing a structure in your backyard or maybe you need to make a couple changes to your driveway. But a land use planning firm does make a large difference in what people will apply for at the municipality and the manner in which those projects might be considered. And that is because if you have your own independent land use planner, you are coming in with an expert already telling the municipality that someone has done the work and ensure that what you are proposing is appropriate in the circumstances. I think that's incredibly important. So that's just an excellent point and advice on getting uh, an expert. And the other thing too, is when you think you might need an attorney, talk to an attorney, consult an attorney. That doesn't mean you're going to sue anyone 
or going to court right away. It just gives you information on where you stand legally. That's so important. And then once you know where you stand legally, then you have decisions to make and an idea of where you need to go. So what do you want homeowners to know about zoning laws? And sorry, just to to build on that, of course, call a lawyer, call an attorney. We're always happy to talk to you about the issues that you may be facing. And I tell clients all the time, getting us involved early on before there are problems will likely save you a lot more money than if problems do happen down the road. And that is because we will prepare your documentation, prepare your application, work with your experts to make sure that those problems don't appear. And so, yes, if you have questions, call a lawyer. Most are thrilled to talk about what they do all day. And so that is a great resource as well. And a land use planner that you're working with will likely have multiple recommendations of lawyers that they work with that they know are in this space because this really shouldn't be a space that people dabble in. With regards to what I would want homeowners to know about zoning laws is that zoning will dictate pretty much everything you want to do with your home or a home you are looking at to purchase. So for instance, one of my dreams is to have a four season sunroom. And as I have been looking at houses that are up for sale, my mind is turning to not just how much land is included in that purchase, but what the setbacks on the land are, what are other requirements on the zoning to determine whether that property could allow me to one day realize that dream. So if you're looking at a piece of land to buy and there is a house on it, you might look at it and go, oh, there's a large backyard. I should be able to build whatever I want back there. But the zoning might say otherwise. In essence, zoning goes beyond what is apparent to the naked eye walking down the street, just looking at properties. You want to make sure that the actual bylaws are being reviewed if you intend to do anything to a property. That's just such excellent advice. And I just added the information about, you know, calling a lawyer doesn't mean you're suing anyone because sometimes people, when you hear the word lawyer, they automatically think of a trial and suing. And that's a lot of times an early conversation with a lawyer can avoid all of that. And like what you said, if you get engaged early with an attorney, especially on property matters, they're very non-emotional matters. And it's a very cut and dry as far as what the law can do and what lawyers will know and where there's leeway and flexibility and where there is not. Again, it's just so important to learn about where you stand legally. So thank you for clarifying that. So let's move on and talk about easements. And if you could define what an easement is and what a homeowner or potential homeowner needs to know about them. Can I ever? Easements are one of the most common disputes I deal with for people after they've purchased a property. In Ontario, we have different types of easements, but what they all do is they allow someone, and the term someone includes a corporation, a right over and or under your lands for a purpose other than general use or occupation. For example, your municipality may have an easement so that water pipes can exist below ground on your property. Your neighbor might have an easement, and you may have one as well, for a shared driveway scenario. An easement might exist granting persons the right to pass over your lands to get to a lake. Depending on where you are, easements are incredibly common. This is especially true for matters like hydro and telecommunication. In downtown settings, we also see 
more situations like shared driveways. So easements, or sometimes referred to as rights of way, exist so that people can drive over them. It is incredibly important to know what easements exist relating to your land, as it can impact what you can and cannot do with that land. For instance, if you have a right-of-way that exists over your driveway, a right-of-way would mean that you likely cannot park on that driveway, and instead you are parking perhaps behind the property in front of the property, depending on what your zoning allows. And those steps will impact what you can then do with the front of your property or the back of the property that you are now using for parking, even though you technically have a driveway, but you just don't have the right to park on it. Okay, great. What about disputes? Disputes between neighbors can tend to escalate rather quickly and emotionally. So what have you seen as a lawyer? What are some of the typical disputes? Yes, uh, disputes between neighbors are always a challenge. And if you can avoid it, you should. As much as we talk about property often being an unemotional, impersonal thing, at least in my experience, when it comes to neighbor disputes, it escalates quite quickly and people do get very emotionally involved. Common disputes between neighbors can relate to the location of trees, both the trunk of the tree and where the leaves are actually falling. Driveway disputes are very common, at least here in Ottawa, because of the way that housing was built in previous decades. Garbage or the untidiness of properties along your street can cause a lot of disputes. And there's actually a pretty famous case out of Toronto of a very expensive neighborhood where it went through our court process. Two neighbors were fighting over things such as whether or not one dog was relieving themselves on their neighbor's property. Yeah, that sounds about right. People are people. (laughs) And so what are some of the steps that you suggest that people can take to peacefully resolve these issues? And how can you go down that path while protecting yourself legally should those efforts fail? Honestly, wherever possible, try to deal with the issue in an amicable fashion. Neighbor disputes, once they turn into legal disputes, are very costly. And this is because, at least here in Ontario, they generally deal with more than what is just purely monetary issues. And so they can't go through our small claims court system. They must go through our general superior court system, which is similar to the large American court system. Mm -hmm. You should know your legal rights. I'm not saying ignore your legal rights. But sometimes it's okay to bend a little. If there's the possibility of the creation of what is called here an adverse possession claim, which is where if someone takes certain steps, they can eventually own the land that you presently own or a portion of that land, then I would suggest getting a lawyer involved, at least in the background of this scenario from the get-go to make sure that everything is properly documented, that limitation periods are being tracked and that you are taking the right steps. And some issues are more bylaw infraction issues than personal issues, right? So if it's something like clutter in your neighbor's front lawn that is beyond what is reasonable, you can complain to your municipality and they should be the ones dealing with it instead of you getting personally involved. But remember that everyone is human and you have legal rights. You want to make sure you're protecting those rights. But if it's something like they're getting their internet wiring set up and they've asked you for permission to have the wire run across your land for two days while it's being put through, do you absolutely have to let them do it? No. Should you, as a kind neighbor who might one day need the same favor, 
Yes. Yes, yes, exactly. Because if you give people a little grace, they'll tend to give it right back to you. So how does one go about being a good neighbor? Meaning what do you watch out for? What do you give an early warning to? How do you get involved? I think this ties into the idea of knowing your legal rights, but recognizing that sometimes it's okay to bend. You know, legally speaking, you might have a permit that grants you the right to start horribly noisy construction at eight o'clock in the morning, including on Saturdays. But just because you can doesn't mean that you should do so without warning. For many things, simply giving people a heads up allows you to fall into the good neighbor category. Not arguing on every nitpicky thing helps too. In terms of what to watch out for, I think it comes to just general human interaction. If you establish a friendly rapport, you are more likely to be able to have that leeway between the two of you. Often we don't advise sending in, for instance, like a legal letter right from the start saying, these are my rights and you can't do anything about it because these are my rights. Like I suggested, perhaps having a lawyer in the background to make sure you know those rights and a lawyer might help you come up with ways to communicate with your neighbor. But maintaining that neighborly relationship is so important because even when that issue is done, you're likely still both living there. I think what you said about having a lawyer in the background is really important. And I think it helps bring down the temperature because you've got someone who's not emotionally involved in the situation really shining a light of reason, right? If you have some wires that are going to be on your property for a few days, does it really matter? Or can you ask for the few days that maybe you're not going to be home or you're going to be out? And most people will accommodate that if they can. And if they can't, there might be a really good reason why. And then perhaps some of the accommodation comes on your part. So I think that's really, really good advice. It's really important to be involved to be involved in neighborhood councils, to be involved in home ownership groups, know your city representative or county representative, going to chamber of commerce events and knowing who those people are. Because if you find yourself having an issue or a problem, it's just a wider group of people that you know at a level that might be able to help you. And so for people who shy away from politics because it can be so divisive, but in these type of neighborhood situations and municipality situations, you're really talking about the quality of your life, traffic, and garbage. And that's about it. Those are really the issues you're going to be talking about at these neighborhood meetings. Pretty much everyone's going to want to live in a safe neighborhood, and they're going to want to have trees trimmed by the city if they're owned by the city, and they want their garbage picked up, and they want good streets. <laughs> Certainly. And I mean, the best part about those groups is that really they're free to you. You're already paying for your municipal council, for instance, through your property taxes. So you should be using those resources. And your municipal councillor is supposed to represent your interests, or at least those of the majority of your community, of course, because it is politics. And you should certainly know who they are and what they stand for to make sure that when those issues arise, they have the same position that you do. Changes to municipal official plans have comment periods and community engagement. Even if you like where things are headed, you should look at these ideas while they are simply ideas to determine if there is something you want to be involved in or seek to change. And in doing so, you will get to know more people who are also engaged in that process and who will become a great source of resources for any issues that you may encounter down the road. 
Neighborhood groups are big sources of updates about what is being planned for your neighborhood specifically. Some are more active than others, at least here in my experience, but they all do collect a lot of information that can otherwise be challenging to find as an individual. And then public meetings exist because it's information that the public is entitled to know about. So if you're interested or concerned about anything, whether it relates to your property directly, if it relates to the neighborhood that you're in, if it relates to the municipality as a whole, that should be going to your municipal councillors, to your neighborhood groups, to the committees. So here in Ottawa, I think it's similar to the committees referenced in the states. We have planning committee, then there's city council meetings, and then there's boards and tribunals that get involved from an outside perspective. And so there are, there's all these resources that are available to you and that are more than happy to help you, but you do need to take the steps to reach out to them. Excellent, Michelle. Excellent. So what are the three tips that you would like people to take away from this discussion? So I actually didn't talk about title insurance, but it is my number one tip. And I'm not sure how that works in the United States, but I deal with it a lot here. If you are purchasing a home or a property, purchase title insurance. And the reason why this ties into the discussion we've been having is that though title insurance isn't going to protect you from everything that is unknown, it can at least provide help if you discover something like an easement issue after you purchase the land, or if you find out right after you bought a home that your property doesn't even have access to a municipal road because what you thought was a municipal road is a private road that you don't have any legal authority to cross over. So that's my first tip. And I tell everyone that basically sing it from the rooftops buy title insurance. It gives you peace of mind, at least for certain things. Tip number two, check the zoning for your property and know what that means, both for what you are currently doing with the lands and also what you intend to do with it. If you want things to change for the zoning on your land, it might take some time. So having an idea of where things are at now will be helpful in how you plan for your future. And three, it may seem like municipalities are challenging, and I I certainly represent developers at time and concerned community members. Sometimes I represent municipalities as well. But municipalities are as involved in land use planning as everyone else, if not more so, because they have entire departments where this this is their job. Speak to their land use planning department Obtain independent advice from your own land use planner, and if someone suggests getting a lawyer, get one. But having those conversations with staff at the municipality can be very helpful and can save you a lot of time that you're going to spend researching on your own to try and determine things that they likely have readily available in different documents that people are asking for every day. Thank you so much, and thank you so much for your time and your insight We really appreciate it. This has just been a lot of great information for our listeners. And, you know, we've talked about these issues at like a 50,000 foot level. And hopefully we've really got you thinking now that we've done our deep dive about how to deal with some of these issues in your own neighborhood. And the way that Michelle laid it out in Canada is very parallel and similar to what happens here in the United States. At least we've got you thinking about how to deal with these issues and where to get started. So Michelle, any final thoughts and where can people find you? So whether you're looking to make changes to your home, if you're making sure that you aren't running into problems, if you're flipping a property or you're entering into the large development space, 
I hope everyone is having fun with it. It is so exciting to see the changes that are happening in all of our communities, both in Canada and the United States. If anyone has any questions, the easiest way to find me is by searching Michelle Chikino Gowling WLG on Google. My work profile with all my information and my LinkedIn profile should be at the top of the search results. But if anyone has any pressing questions or just wants to talk development, I absolutely love to do so and can be reached by email at M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E period C-I-C-C-H-I-N-O at G-O-W-L-I-N-G-W-L-G.com, which is Michelle Chikino at GowlingWLG.com. Thank you so much, Bobby, for including me on your amazing podcast. This has been such a great discussion. To learn more about what Michelle discussed and to join our community, go to our website at singleladyestates.com and be sure to subscribe to our podcast. Also, we've got some exciting news. We've got our first practical guide to air conditioning. Perfect timing because it's in the summer. It's in digital and print on Amazon. We will include that link too. Thank you, everyone. Have a great rest of your day.